0: We're reading this morning from Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And starting there in verse 1, it says, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? This is Elijah speaking. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And that comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. What was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to bow. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. And we've dealt with these Topics of election and hardening of the heart and so on. I'm not going into detail in that. But here, the elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. After reading about Israel's rejection of their Messiah in Romans chapter 9 and 10, Paul knows that we may be tempted to think that God has now rejected Israel. Israel rejected God, God has now rejected Israel. So he emphatically asserts in chapter 11 verse 1, did God reject his people? By no means. And then he points to two people, Elijah and himself, to back up his assertion. When Paul had essentially rejected Jesus as the Messiah, when Paul was persecuting Christians, when he was against Jesus, against Christ, God revealed himself and drew Paul, an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and a zealous Pharisee. God drew Paul to himself. So Paul is saying I am living proof that God has not rejected the Israelites. I am living proof that God has selected, has elected, has chosen, has brought to himself those that have those that are his, those that belong to him as such. And so although a vast majority of the children of Israel did not accept the Messiah, there was a remnant group of people who did a remaining group, a small group, some people who believed in the Lord Jesus. But what about this reference to Elijah? What do we learn from the story of Elijah? And how should we understand that in the context of a remnant people? And so for that, we have to go all the way back to First Kings chapters 17 through 19. There's more about the life of Elijah, but at least those chapters. And here's the background of those chapters. Ahab, the king of Israel at the time, was a wicked and ungodly man. His wife Jezebel was just as bad, and through their actions they had led the nation of Israel into worshipping this false god Baal. or Baal. Right? Elijah was the prophet of God, and through him God had spoken a word of judgment on Israel that there would be no rain in the land for three years. So this is what's going on. And so that lack of rain had resulted in drought and famine. And God, during that period, supernaturally provided for Elijah, first through ravens who would bring him food, and then through the flour and the oil of the widow at Zarephath, where the flour and the oil did not run out while Elijah was with them. So all these miraculous provisions, all these things are going on. You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 17. In chapter 18... God tells Elijah to present himself to Ahab to tell him that there would be rain in the land, that rain was going to come. And Elijah tells Ahab, King Ahab, to meet him at Mount Carmel along with the children of Israel, including the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah that Ahab and Jezebel were supporting. When the people had assembled at Mount Carmel, Elijah issued a challenge and he said, put a bull on the altar that you have there, put a bull there and pray to Baal to send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Don't just light the thing, pray that your God will send fire from heaven. And the priests and the prophets of Baal couldn't get Baal to answer even though they called on him from morning till the time of the evening sacrifice. Then Elijah had the people build an altar of 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He had them cut up the bull and place it on the altar. And he dug a trench. He had them dig a trench around the altar. And then he had them dump so much water on the altar that it ran over and filled the trench. That's how much water that was there. Now, I'm reading, I'm picking up in the story, I'm reading from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 through 40. 1 Kings 18, 36 through 40. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Immediately after this, immediately after these events, Elijah prayed for the rain to come. And boy did it come. Big, mighty, heavy rain. So it's an incredible story, incredible set of events that are taking place. And many of us are familiar with this story from our Sunday school, from our Sunday school classes, or from some popular message that you've heard, right? You you know the story of Elijah calling fire down from heaven. But we tend to stop at the end of chapter 18. And we say, we read through this whole story, and we get to the end of chapter 18, and we say, wow, what a story. But here's how chapter 19 begins. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything as Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Meaning what? I'm going to kill you. Jezebel sends word. What's the next verse? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This is the mighty prophet Elijah, who has just called down fire from heaven, rid the nation of the false prophets, and prayed for rain. He was afraid and ran for his life. There are some wonderful details in the next few verses in 1 Kings chapter 19 that are for another sermon. Let's skip down to verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Remember, we talked about zeal recently. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, toned down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. You know, when Paul refers to Elijah, he does, he does it in a shorthand. He just, he just makes one reference to this one statement of God to Elijah about the remnant people. God said to Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 for me. Right? We just read that one sentence in Romans but that one statement would have been enough for Paul's readers to be reminded of this whole story of Elijah who even when he thought he was alone he was alone i'm the only one when even when he thought he was alone he found out that God had been working sovereignly to preserve his people and fulfill his purpose it wasn't all up to elijah God had been doing something miraculous already. Elijah was a mighty prophet of God. But he was also just like us. And when he thought he was alone, when he wasn't rightly connected to the rest of the believing children of God, it affected him. And that, that all too common reality, is what provides some important lessons for us. Because when we are isolated, we become fearful. When Jezebel sent word that he would be killed, Elijah ran for his life. When he thought that he was alone, when he didn't have anyone else to encourage him and strengthen him, he became afraid. Even though he's witnessing these mighty miracles of God, when he didn't have people with him, when he didn't have those that he could stand with, he became afraid. When we are alone, or when we think we are alone, even if we think we are alone, we are prone to delusions, conspiracies, extreme imaginations, and losing hope. We despair of life. We get into fear, not faith. And remember what we learned last week. Faith comes from hearing the word of God when we are with other children of God and hearing the word of God, when we share the word of God with others, when we pray with those that are in need or are hurting, when others pray for us, When we hear the testimonies of God, like we did this morning, when we hear the testimonies of God answering prayer and providing wisdom, when we praise and worship God in spirit and in truth along with our brothers and our sisters, then our faith rises. Then faith comes because we are hearing and being saturated in the word of God. And when faith rises, fear is dispelled. When we're isolated... We don't have any of those things. And fear rises. But when faith rises, we are mobilized. We are energized to fulfill God's purpose. Because when we are isolated, we not only become fearful, when we are isolated, we miss the purpose of God. Elijah thought his life was coming to an end. Right? He said, hey, I'm the only one left, I've been zealous for you, I've stood for you, now they're coming to kill me. I'm done. You know, it's at, it's at the end. But God had purposed so much more for him. It wasn't that he was saying, okay, you'll bring down fire from heaven then you're done. He was saying, you're, that's just one milestone here. I have a whole lot more that you still have to do. I want you to go and anoint kings and I want you to anoint your successor and I want you to do all of these things and mentor Elisha. And Elisha was going to be a mighty prophet of God in Israel. So when we are not with the children of God, we're not receiving from them and we're not speaking into their lives. Which means that the purposes of God are not revealed and the purposes of God are not fulfilled. We miss the purpose of God when we do not connect with the children of God. Because it is in the ministry, it is in that serving, it is in that loving one another, it is in that spurring one another that the purposes of God are being fulfilled. And so here we have it. When we are rightly connected with the children of God, maybe it's a word that you speak, maybe it's an action that you took, maybe it's the way you live your life, Maybe it's all these things, or that someone else is doing all of these things that affects you. But through it all, we understand that there's a purpose of God for our lives. So when we come together, when we are in fellowship, when we're speaking to each other, when we are in in communion with one another, we see the purposes of God. And we are encouraged to seek the wisdom of God. Doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter what circumstance, we say, oh, I'm praying about this. I need to know what to do about this. I'm uncertain how to proceed in this. And we come together in fellowship, come together in the local church, come together in the body of Christ, and we're able to seek the wisdom of God, and we're able to receive the counsel of others. We speak into each other's lives. We say, hey, I went through that. I I experienced that. Here's what the Lord did for me. And that speaks to your brother, to your sister. Or you say, you know what? I was praying about this too, and I haven't experienced this, but I think this is what this verse is talking about, and I think this may be applicable for you. And that person says, yes, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And we start to speak into each other's lives that way and fulfill the purpose of God or see the fulfillment of the purpose of God. We are inspired by the Holy Spirit to take these steps of our life journey in cooperation with one another. Right? So, when we're isolated, we give in to fear. When we're isolated, we miss the purpose of God. And when we're isolated, we rely on our own works and not on grace. Because when we are alone, or when we think we're alone, we think it's all up to us. It's just me. I'm all there is. I have been zealous for you, God. It's all up to me. All these other people are doing the wrong things. All these other people have, you know, rejected you. I'm doing the right thing. We think it's all up to us. And we say, I've got to do it all. Just like Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Even in the midst of that, And, you know, it's not an accident that God asked him twice. Why are you here, Elijah? As if God didn't know. As if God didn't know what was in his heart. As if God didn't know what he was being affected by. But he wanted Elijah to confront it. He wanted Elijah to think through his response. So he says to him twice, Why are you here? What are you doing? What are you doing, Elijah? And Elijah goes, I have been very zealous for the Lord. When we are isolated, when we're not in the communion and the fellowship that we need to be in, we think it's all up to us. And we start to think that we... or we start to measure ourselves by ourselves. And we say, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Because we measure ourselves by our own standards. And we measure ourselves by our works and our accomplishments. I have stood for this. I have done this. I have done. I have not done that. And that's where we go. But when we are rightly connected to the body of Christ, we are regularly reminded of the grace of God. We're regularly reminded, whether it's through our children or whether it's through somebody else, we are regularly reminded of the grace of God. And we say, oh God, it's not my works. It's not my good works. It's not my abilities. It's not my holiness. It's not my doing something. It's you. It's your grace. We are reminded of that. And so rather than thinking of our individual work, or our collective work, look at what we have done as a church, we are able to individually and collectively say, Oh God, this is your grace. It is because of your grace that I stand here today. It is because of your grace that we have these things today. It is because of who you are, because you are fulfilling your plans, your purposes, and your will. Which means that we respond and apply to this word we respond to what we are hearing by saying, Oh, God, I want to be rightly connected to the remnant people of God. I want to be rightly connected. Not soul ties, not obligation, not culture, not anything else. I want to be rightly connected to the remnant of the people of God. Throughout the Bible, you will see that God never requires a majority. He never says, you be part of this group, that's the majority. You vote with these folks who have the majority. He never says that. He never does it. In fact, he works with the outcast and the marginalized. He chooses the weak and the downtrodden. He takes the lowly and lifts them up. Our quest in life is not to belong to the majority. Our quest in life is not to say, we are strong. In fact, we would not be. We may be the weakest. We may be the minority. We may be the ones who nobody else is agreeing with. Our quest is not to be rightly connected with the right people. Because when we do that, we say, who's in power? Who's in position? Who can give me something that I'll benefit from? Rather, we say, who am I connected to in the Lord? And they may not look like much to the world at all. They may not look like they have any power, prestige, position, nothing. And yet the Lord says, you do this. You go for me. You stand for me. You remain rightly connected to the remnant, to the few, to the remaining. And that's where I will manifest myself. You see, the Lord has preserved in every nation and every time those who will not bow their knees to bow. It's not just you. It's not just us. It's not just a few. God has a remnant throughout this earth. And he will preserve his remnant until he returns. Because we are are called to pray with, to build with, to weep with and to rejoice with those who are of the household of faith we stand with our brothers and our sisters why is the local church so important why is it necessary for us to come together and to you know to take the effort to make that effort to do all these things and to say oh i want to come together with these folks why Because the Bible is calling us repeatedly to be rightly connected to those that are in the body of Christ and to be in the household of faith so that we would not be living in fear. We would not be isolated and living in fear. We would not be missing the purpose of God for our lives and we would appreciate the grace of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Lord you give us life and you give it to us abundantly. And we praise you that you came into this world, O Lord God, to show us the way, to shine the light in the darkness, to give us life. And Lord, because of that, we are not alone. We are never alone. Father, even through all the difficult circumstances of this past year, two years, there are many, Lord, who have even passed away from this earth alone in a hospital room maybe separated, isolated from their loved ones. But in the middle of it all, I thank you, Lord, that they were joined with you. There were many who were joined with you. That even in those hospital rooms, they experienced your presence. We thank you for that. We thank you for that grace. Lord, let it be a reminder to us to seek your presence and to have you with us all the time. And let it be, Lord, the impetus, the power, the, Lord, the means by which we would seek to be joined in fellowship with our brothers and our sisters, with others who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus, with others who have believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth that you are Lord, Lord, with others of like precious faith, not fear. Help us, Lord, to be joined together with them. To be rightly connected to the body of Christ. So that in you, we may live and move and have our being. So that in you, we would see the power of God manifest. And Lord, that the world around us, Lord, would not look to the majority, the popular opinion, the overwhelming number. They will see a remnant. A remnant. In whom the grace of God is manifest. Through whom the love of God is shared. And Lord, who are living in this earth for the glory of God. Let us be part of that remnant. Let us truly be joined to that remnant. And glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.